Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, and I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of uh, Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Amen. This is God's word this evening. Let's pause and let's just pray together. Loving God, may the words of these lips and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight this night. And may it all be for your glory, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A London psychologist once told the late Billy Graham that 70% of people in psychiatric wards in Great Britain could be released if they could find forgiveness. Their problem was a bad conscience, and they could gain no relief from the guilt and pressure under which they lived And that's so true when you think of this story that I read in a newspaper a number of years back. A letter had arrived at the finance department of Bradford City Council with a check for £10. In the letter, the man confessed that during World War II, he had jumped on a train without paying his fare, and now, 50 years later, he wanted to make peace with his conscience. Or this story I read of a man who wrote a letter to the Bureau of Internal Revenue, the tax office in the United States. He said, I haven't been able to sleep because last year when I filled out my income tax report, I deliberately misrepresented my income. I am enclosing a check for $150, and if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. One way of handling A bad conscience, but I predict it probably won't work. The only way that works is the way that's set forth before us here in the 51st Psalm. We have to come to a place where we acknowledge our sin and make an appeal to God on account of 
our sin, then and only then will we receive forgiveness and a clean conscience. At that stage, like the psalmist, we will be able to say, verse 15, my mouth will declare your praise. Tonight, let's think on this psalm as we find David declaring, I will sing of your forgiveness. We're looking at the songs of David these Sunday evenings that come from his experiences in 2 Samuel. You will remember we spent a number of months going through 2 Samuel. Well, these are a few of the songs that come out of David's experiences there. Last time round, we looked at Psalm 60, and we said, I will sing of your victory. And when you think about the victories of David, what would you say is his greatest? I'm guessing for many of us, we might go straight to his picking up of the five uh, stones from the brook, his swinging one of them around in that sling, and the defeat of Goliath. And undoubtedly, that was a great victory. But I want to argue uh, this evening that perhaps his greatest victory is this psalm here, Uh, is his recognizing of his great sin and his cry for forgiveness. Let's remember what happened that caused this psalm to be written. We're told in the inscription of the psalm, just under the, the title Psalm 51, it says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. We're drawn back to 2 Samuel 11. You can read it later on for yourselves. A time when David became involved in the double sin of adultery and murder. David sends his men out to battle, but for some reason, the king stays at home. And as he's walking around the roof one evening of the palace, he spots a a, a beauty who is bathing. And instead of turning his eyes away, he keeps looking, and lust takes over his thinking. Aroused, he asks who this is, and asks that she be brought to him And as soon as she comes, he sleeps with her. He commits adultery. Later, when David learned that she was expecting a child from this encounter, he panicked and tried to cover it up. He ordered her husband be brought back from the front line of battle and sends him to his home, hoping that he would sleep with his wife and that would cover up and cover over the problem. But Uriah was a soldier committed to battle, committed to his comrades, and though he came home at the king's orders, he would not go down to his own house uh, or sleep with his own wife. And so the next day he is returned to battle. David knew that ultimately his sin would be found out, so he takes another step. And that is the way with sin, brothers and sisters. It leads us on deeper and deeper, further than we ever intended to go. And before the king knew it, he found himself forced in a desperate attempt to cover up his evil. And so he orders Uriah, the husband, to be put in the forefront of the battle where he would most certainly be killed. And when news of Uriah's death reached the king, he began to feel that he had safely covered his sin. David may have thought he had gotten away with it, but the Lord had witnessed it all. And after God sent Nathan, the prophet, to confront him regarding his sin, David's heart was pricked and he desired repentance. This psalm is his cry for mercy, his plea for forgiveness, his confession and his repentance. How do you go about 
dealing with your sin? Well, it starts with an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement that you've done wrong, an acknowledgement of your sin. It begins with recognizing that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It involves us realizing that we've failed to live life the way that God intended, and that that has consequences for us. It also means returning to God in repentance, relying on His mercy. We have to acknowledge our sin. We have to admit our guilt. David acknowledges his sins in these opening seven verses. Actually, he admits it right through the song. And it begins with him saying, I deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. David is asking for God's mercy. The fact that he pleads for mercy is an admission that he doesn't deserve to be acquitted, or else he might have pleaded for justice. Mercy, tender mercies is what he's after. Please, God, don't give me what I deserve. Sin deserves judgment. David understands his sin for what it is. He recognizes what he's done and the position he is in. He makes no excuses, and that is the key for us. If we are to deal with our sin, then we must begin by recognizing it. There can be no rationalizing adultery and murder here, no saying others do it all the time or I fell in a moment of weakness. In fact, those are the very words that we use to excuse nearly all of our sin, don't we? The other is that little phrase that it doesn't harm anyone else, so it's okay. But sin is sin. It's disobedience against God. It breaks our relationship with Him. And as long as we make excuses, sin can't be forgiven. As long as we try and justify it away, we cannot be made clean. If sin is to be forgiven, it must be confessed for what it is. You can't call sin weakness and expect to be forgiven by God. God doesn't forgive weakness. He forgives sin. And David recognizes his sin. He acknowledges that it deserves judgment. He knows the law and he knows the penalty that comes for both adultery and murder. And that's why we find him saying, I depend on God's mercy, not just that he deserves judgment, but he says, I depend on God for mercy. And that's what that verse is all about in verse 1, of mercy on me, O God, of mercy, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassions, blot out my transgressions. David knew that he had sinned. He knew that God was aware of his sin, and God alone had the power to forgive sin and provide restoration. David knew that he was literally at the mercy of God, and his only hope was to receive that mercy. He pleads with the Lord to offer mercy instead of the judgment he rightfully deserved. David rightly recognizes who God is. His plea for forgiveness is directed to a God of unfailing love, to a God of great compassion. Even although he had sinned horribly, David knew that forgiveness was available based on God's covenant love. That word for unfailing love is elsewhere translated uh, loving kindness or steadfast love or covenant love. It's that Hebrew word hesed that we often speak about. It speaks of God's faithfulness, of God's kindness, of God's mercy of God's love. David re remembers the great loving kindness of God. 
despite the repeated sin of Israel, God again and again forgave them and restored them. And David pleads for mercy here from a gracious and loving God. And when we recognize our sin, we should also realize that our only hope is found in the mercy of God. God would be just, and God would be right to condemn us, to leave us in our sin. David says as much in verse 4 when he says it so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Yet we, yet we come before a God of mercy, of grace, of love. We come in hope uh, before a compassionate God who is slow to anger and who is rich in love. I'm so glad that we worship a God of mercy. Ephesians 2 and 4 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. David understood that. As we move on, we find David cry out, I desire to be clean. It's not just that he depends on God for mercy, but he's got a desire to be clean. Verse 2, wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Now that David's sin was out in the open, he truly desired to be forgiven and to be cleansed of that sin. He was tired, tired of bearing the burden that his sin had caused. No doubt there's been miserable days for this, for this fellow who was a man after God's own heart. And there's a great truth revealed in the text. Until we get tired of our sin and desire things to change, there can be no restoration. We must get to the place that we want to get rid of sin in our lives. We want to rid our lives of the burden of sin. Simply being aware of sin isn't enough. We must acknowledge it and seek restoration. David wants to be clean. He uses language that speaks of the cleansing of clothes, uh, trying to get a stain uh, out of them. He longs to be pure and spotless once more. Again, down in verse 7, he says, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. He's got a desire to stand right before his God once again. And do you notice the very personal nature of those cries, of that desire? They're filled with personal pronouns. It's all me, my, I. And that is personal guilt. And it is him now taking personal responsibility. And friends, we've got to do the same. Name it. Own it. Desire to be cleansed from it, depending on God for his grace and for his mercy. In the midst of this acknowledgement of his sin and shame, we find David admit that I despair. I despair of my sin. Verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. And that reveals the miserable nature of this man. He had confessed his sin before the Lord as well as the fact that his sin was constantly on his mind. It made no difference to David what he did or where he went. His sin was always there. He never found any rest or peace because of his sin. Day after day, his misery and his guilt remained. And many today are in a miserable condition. Their sin may not have been discovered as of yet, but it's ever before them. The guilt and despair of sin never goes away. It's a constant reminder to the child of God that they are apart from the Lord and his fellowship. There may be displeasure, but there may be pleasure in sin for a moment, 
But the Christian is never happy dwelling in that sin. As David continues in verse 4, he recognizes his guilt in committing adultery, ruining a relationship, destroying a home, being responsible for the death of an innocent man. But above all, above all of that, it is his guilt ultimately before God that gets him against you. You only have I sinned, done what is evil in your sight so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. And he recognizes he's been a sinner all of his days. Verse five, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He despairs because he's a sinner and sin has followed him all his days. He despairs because sin has caused an issue in his relationship with God. And friends, sin is a problem in our lives. We're sinful from birth. We continue to allow sin to have a hold and we still feel the guilt of sin that is unconfessed. So let's stop and let's examine our lives. Let's ask God by His Spirit to reveal any sin that is within us and let's acknowledge that sin and deal with it. Let's confess it before God and ask Him to cleanse and renew us. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David acknowledges his sin. Uh, He despairs of it. He desires to be clean. He depends on God for mercy. But it's an acknowledgement. And that acknowledgement then moves on to an appeal on account of his sin. He makes a fourfold appeal to God. He says, remove my sin. He's asked that before at the beginning of this psalm, but he comes back to it again after acknowledging all of his guilt and all of his shame. In verse 7, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. David desired that his sin be removed that his life be cleansed of iniquity. He was tired of the filth and despair of sin. He desired for it to be removed from his life. He knew that God was able to forgive his sin and blot it out. He begs for God to do a deep work of grace to cleanse him from the stain of sin. He wants God to wash him from the inside out. And the word he used implies uh, goods, old, thorough, scrubbing. You can almost picture the old-time mother with her child uh, at the sink, scrubbing him until his skin literally shines and squeaks. And I'm sure one or two of you probably remember those instances and those times when your mother did that to you. The blotting out offers the image of a razor where a mark is totally obliterated, wiped away, and removed. It was not David's desire, nor God's intent to gloss over or to wink at, or to indulge sin. Sin had to go. He wanted rid of it. And so he asks God to hide his face from his sins in verse 9. And doing this, he's basically asking God to put them away and to remember them no more. You might remember Psalm 103 in verse 12, uh, where he remembers that he wants God to remember his sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed my transgressions from me. It's not enough to be forgiven. We need to know that God has put our sins away from us. Otherwise, otherwise, our sins will rise to accuse us again, and a guilty conscience will keep us awake at night. Friend, our sin is forgiven through Jesus. 
He's removed our sin. Our sin is atoned for through his blood shed on the cross. We can rest secure in our salvation. David also appeals that God restore his joy. Restore my joy, he says, verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David was no doubt filled with misery during this season of his life. He no longer experienced the joy of the Lord within his heart. He lacked that fellowship, that intimacy with God. He couldn't pray. He couldn't worship. He couldn't enjoy life all because of his sin. And as his sin was revealed, it appears that it brought a sense of relief to David's heart. He wanted the sin removed so that his joy could be restored. And that's the same for us. Sin ruins our relationship with God. It's hard to read God's word when you're harboring sin in your life. It's difficult to pray when you're hiding sin away. It's a struggle to worship fully and freely when you're hurting because of sin in your life. Life for the believer cannot experience joy apart from the Lord. And when sin is allowed to remain in our lives, fellowship with the Lord is broken. Like David, we won't be able to worship, pray, enjoy life. The Christian is never happy when sin is in their life. We may pretend that it is all well, but deep down we are miserable because we lack joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength, declared Nehemiah. The only way for our joy to be restored is for our sin to be removed and our relationship with the Lord reconciled. See David's next appeal though, because he goes on to uh, appeal to the Lord to renew my spirit. In verse t- back to verse 10, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. That word create means that David knows he can't change himself. Here's the end of all self-reformation. The king knows that unless God makes him pure, he will never get there on his own. Not only that, but he prays for a steadfast spirit that will enable him to stand strong against temptation in the future. Quite simply, David longed for the day when he would once again experience the presence of God in his life. He longed for the fellowship that he had prior to this sin. He wanted to have a heart filled with the presence and power of God rather than one that was filled with guilt and despair because of sin. Further seen in the cry of verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. It was Spurgeon who says that only a true Christian could pray like this. An unbeliever won't care about being cast away from God's presence because they were never close to God in the first place. An unsaved person won't care about losing the Holy Spirit that they never had anyway. The ungodly flee from God's presence and hide away. They hide from the Spirit. But only the child of God feels the pain of God's discipline. Those who have dwelt in the sunlight of his love shiver in the cold darkness of his displeasure. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David says quite literally, Lord, I'm tired of being miserable about my miserable life. Would you open the joy of uh, the joy? Uh, would you open the fountain of joy in my heart once again? 
renew my spirit. And finally asks the Lord that he be returned to service. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. David longs to teach others. Again, he longs to offer praise to God. Again, apparently, it's been some time since David had a word from the Lord. His lips had been silent concerning God since his sin. He was no longer a testimony to others. He was no longer being used of God. He desired to return to the field of service. David was God's servant, and he wanted to regain his ministry. He wanted to lead people to the Lord. He yearned for the opportunity once more to point people to Jesus. And as David considered the lessons that he had learned following this tragic affair with Bathsheba, he vowed to God that he would use his experience to cause sinners to return to the Lord. David knew God's grace he was pleading for it here and experiencing it here. And you know, there is no better witness than that of a sinner saved by grace. Until we have personally experienced God's pardoning grace, and the gospel to us is only a theoretical message. But let a person declare how God rescued them in the moment of helpless desperation. Let them speak openly of how they despaired of ever finding peace with God again. Let them tell how God found them and lifted them up and forgave their sins and gave them a new life and set their feet in a new direction. Let them share that, share that from their heart and people will listen because there is no testimony like the simple truth of a changed life. Converted sinners make the best preachers because they know the truth of what they are saying. David is ready to serve God once again. Not only serve him afresh, but actually worship him afresh and praise him afresh. David's service should not only involve sharing his testimony, but his praise of God. Verse 15, O Lord, Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. The saved person is lost in wonder, love, and praise. All they want to do is shout it from the rooftops and sing it out. Are you singing God's praise from grateful and thankful hearts this evening? This is the prayer here of a man who had sinned realized his sin, wanted to turn from that sin, and longed to live for God once more. He comes and acknowledges his sin, recognizing that God alone can forgive him. He acknowledges God's unfailing love and great compassion, and having admitted to his sin, he appeals for God's help in removing his sin, restoring his joy, renewing his relationship with the Lord, and returning him to God's service. David's song here is, I will sing of your forgiveness. Friend, is that our song tonight? Are we singing of God's forgiveness? Here's the amazing news. We are all sinners who have been saved by God's grace. We've been forgiven through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and our place in heaven is secure. However, we live in a fallen world and in our weakness often give in to temptation and sin. And we're called to confess our sins regularly before our Lord. And this prayer offers us a wonderful pattern to follow. It is important to acknowledge our sin and to appeal for God's help in cleansing 
and renewing us. Do you remember 1 John 1, 9, great verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a loving, gracious, merciful, and compassionate God we worship and adore. Friends, don't harbor sin. Follow David's example and get on your knees and confess your sins to God. Cry out to him. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions and then cry out, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Let's pray together. Loving God, we want to thank you for the characters in Scripture, ordinary people like us, people who make mistakes, people who sin and sin in great ways, and yet people who recognize their sin and in their guilt and in their shame come to you for forgiveness. Lord, we are sinners. Even today, Lord, we have sinned in thought and in word and in deed. And so we come before you, Lord, and ask that you would have mercy on us, that you would blot out our transgressions, that you would wash away all our iniquity, that you would cleanse us from our sin. Father God, we thank you for the cross of Jesus. We thank you for the price that was paid at Calvary for us. We thank you that Jesus' body was given, that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, we recognize that it's only through the shedding of blood that our sin is forgiven. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the perfect Lamb of God. We thank you that he died in our place. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep short accounts of sin with you. That you would help us to be a thankful people who can sing of your forgiveness this evening who can declare that worthy is the lamb who was slain for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to ponder it tonight. Help us to keep thinking about it during these coming days. And Lord, would you help us to apply it to our lives this night and always. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.